Good morning, everyone. I'm going to apologize in advance. I've got a little frog that just will not get out of my throat. Students in uh, my classes have experienced this in the past few uh, days last week. I'm just hoping and praying that I don't start one of those coughing fits this morning. Charles Octavius Booth was born in the mid-1800s in Alabama. He was born into slavery. He was the uh, legal property and possession of a man by the name of Nathaniel Howard. In contrast to what many slaves at that time experienced, Booth seems to have been treated relatively mildly by his master. He says this, I think I can say that my master and I really loved each other. But make no mistake, Booth became a sharp critic of American slavery. With the Emancipation Proclamation in 1865, nearly four million slaves were freed in this country. And Booth was one of them. After his liberation, he worked to help newly freed slaves, assisting in educating the black community in particular. He started two churches. The first was named First Colored Baptist Church in Meridian, Mississippi, and the second, Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama, which would later become a key congregation during the Civil Rights Movement. Dexter Avenue was later renamed King Memorial Baptist Church after Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. You may recognize Booth's name from Survey of Doctrine. He wrote one of our textbooks, Plain Theology for Plain People. And I want to read you an excerpt from this book that presents Booth's thinking on the Christian's relationship with the Lord. And as I read this, you should keep in mind that this man was himself a former slave who had been freed. Booth says this, The believer in Christ is not his own. Most of the followers of Christ have known and felt this to be true, but it ought never to be forgotten. They have often sung the words of the familiar hymn beginning with these words, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? The last words of this hymn are generally sung with very deep feeling, but drops of grief can never repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. This means, I'm still quoting from Booth, this means that they do not want to be their own, but really desire to belong now and forever to Christ. That they are glad to take him for their Lord and Master and are ready to spend and be spent in his service. The faithful servant will, of course, be found asking day by day, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? 
you should always remember that he will most glorify God by doing promptly, diligently, and faithfully what God wants him to do. In our study of Romans chapter 6 this morning, you might be surprised to find that the believer in Christ is described as a slave. How can this be? How can a believer in Jesus, in any sense, be called a slave? We will see in these verses that the quality and condition of life for the slave in Jesus Christ stands in stark contrast to a tyrannical sort of slavery. Once we were enslaved to sin, and sin was a cruel master. But now we have been liberated by Jesus Christ, and we willingly and joyfully serve him as our master. We can rejoice to be his slaves. Let's look together at these verses. Romans chapter 6 and verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Paul has just told his readers that they are no longer under law but instead are under grace in verse 14. Someone could hypothetically take Paul's words to mean that they had been freed to act and think and feel whatever they want. However, Paul did not mean to say we have absolute freedom to live however we deem fit. Our being under grace does not mean we no longer uphold the law of God. Rather, our life under grace, having been freed by the Spirit of God, means that we finally have the ability to keep the law, which is now written on our hearts. So, Paul asks, should we keep on sinning since we are no longer under the law, meaning under the condemnation that the law brings? Should we keep on sinning because we have become the objects of God's gracious favor? Paul responds with as strong of words as he could muster, by no means, no way, never. He says in verse 16, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. We're presented with another contrast in this verse between life under law with sin and dominion over us and life under grace. Paul presents two roads, two paths that a person could potentially take. One is to present yourself as an obedient slave to sin. This is the natural path, the broad road that leads to destruction. This is life under the authority of the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, 
carrying out the desires of our mind, of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. As Paul says in Ephesians 2, verses 2 and 3, this choice, this path leads to death and destruction. The other possibility is that we present ourselves as slaves of obedience. This obedience is to the Lord Jesus Christ, whose death brought us forgiveness from sin. Because of what he's done, we offer ourselves to him willingly as slaves. And this leads to righteousness. Verses 17 and 18. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Before we were saved, before we were redeemed, before we were forgiven and reconciled to God and adopted into his family, we were slaves of sin. But God redeemed us. He bought us. He purchased us out of the slave market of sin. And through faith, we've become obedient from the heart to the gospel of Jesus Christ. God the Father then liberated us from Satan's domain and dominion and captivity to the curse of sin. Formerly, we belonged to Satan. He owned us. God, out of his great mercy, sent forth his son to die in our place 2,000 years ago. And in our lifetimes, he allowed the good news of his gospel to be spoken to us. And in the moment we believed, we were transferred from Satan's oppressive, abusive, manipulative, tyrannical ownership to being under a new master. In Colossians, Paul puts it this way. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul says in verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. The unregenerate life, the life without Christ, is a life given over to sinful desires. The really diabolical part of sin as it relates to an unbeliever is that it has total mastery over a person and yet makes them think that they are freely doing what they want to do. Commentator Tom Schreiner says it this way, unbelievers are slaves to sin in that they always desire to carry out the dictates of their master. Apart from Christ, life lived for sin and self and every act and thought and feeling is a presentation of the human person 
and their entire existence as slaves to impurity and lawlessness. And it is a downward spiral that ends in death. Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 34, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Meaning everyone who practices sin. Everyone who continues in sin. Have you ever thought about the irony of our Independence Day in the United States of America? I love the 4th of July. It's one of my favorite holidays. And Dubuque, Iowa does it like no one else does it. You may laugh at that, but we have a wonderful fireworks display here. We have an air show. It's a whole event. I love going down to the river and sitting with crowds of people that I don't know to celebrate the freedoms that I've been given in this country. I love the food, the cookouts, the smells of the fireworks, watching the sun go down and then seeing the explosions in the sky. I love all of it. But I often think that there are many who are celebrating freedom that day who are truly slaves. Spiritual slaves. Slaves to sin. Slaves to self. Slaves to Satan and the evil power controlling this present age. And we used to be that too before Jesus saved us. Verses 20 and 21. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Before we were believers, while we were still slaves, we didn't have any concern for righteousness. Our only desires were to live for ourselves, to please ourselves, to advance ourselves, to make ourselves comfortable and our lives more enjoyable. The only concern we had for others was the way that we could use them to make ourselves happier or bring us more pleasure or delight. In our thinking, then people were tools, not God's image bearers. We have no desire for righteousness apart from when and if it might be useful to us. Paul reminds us that this way of life bears no lasting fruit. It has no lasting value, and the end of this kind of life is eternal death. Again, Jesus says it this way in Mark 8, 36, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What does it profit to have fame or fortune or sex or drugs, or rock and roll, or anything else that this world has to offer if your heart isn't right with God. Paul says these are the very things of which we are now ashamed. The pleasures of this world pursued for self only end in death. Verses 22 and 23. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. 
For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus Christ liberated us from sin. He redeemed us out of Satan's slave market. He bought us with his own blood, and now we are his. The fruit of our lives is no longer death, as when we were under Satan's chokehold. Now the produce of our lives is sanctification, being progressively changed into the glorious image of the Lord Jesus himself. And the end result of this progressive sanctification is glorification, eternal life with Christ in moral perfection. Verse 23 then summarizes this great contrast that Paul has talked about throughout these verses. The wages of sin, what, what is earned by a life lived in slavery to sin, the fruit of a life entirely lived for self is ultimate and eternal death. Paul had earlier written about the end of all who reject Christ. In this way, in 2 Thessalonians 1.9, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. But the free gift of God is eternal life, a life lived to the glory of God as slaves of righteousness results in sanctification and eternal life as its outcome. We should take note that in the context, eternal life in verse 23 is not primarily then a judicial ruling, but a transformational end point. The final outcome of the process of sanctification. The Lord does not merely desire to declare us righteous in position only, but to make us holy in practice daily. Bought us out of slavery to sin to make us sons and daughters, kings and priests, fellow heirs together with Christ. What an amazing contrast then between a life lived in slavery to sin and a life lived under the ownership of God. Our wages as slaves, what we deserved under bondage to sin, was only death. But our new master, the Lord Jesus, has freed us from sin. And instead of giving us wages, he gives us gifts. He gives us eternal life. Not just a future possession, but the joy and peace and flourishing that we can experience in this present age. He gives us his spirit. He gives us the ability to keep his law, which is now written on, inscribed on our hearts. It's kind of like a story I once heard my grandfather tell. Several hundred years ago, before the abolition of slavery in England, an English gentleman went down to the market one day and saw an auction taking place. And as he watched the auction, he could see that among the things being auctioned off, there was a slave 
who was being brought up to the front of the crowd. The slave had a a good appearance. He was clean. He was nicely dressed. His hair was combed. And so as the auction began for this slave, this Englishman entered into the bidding. The slave, upon seeing the well-to-do Englishman who had bid on him, turned to him with exasperation, said, how can you bid on me? I'm one of your fellow countrymen. The enslaved, uh, several other bids came in, and the bid increased, and the Englishman also increased his bid. And every time he did, the enslaved man would yell louder and louder at this Englishman, what are you doing? Stop it! The price went up. The bids went up. Still, the Englishman continued to bid on this slave. The slave became so irate that he even shouted obscenities and curses on this man. And finally, when the price had gone high enough, the bidding ended, and the Englishman had won the bid. The slave was brought over to him, still beside himself, cursing at the man, spitting at him. And as the keys to the slave's shackles were handed to the Englishman, the slave spit directly in his face and screamed his voice hoarse. The Englishman took the keys to the shackles and he unlocked the slave's chains. And he said, Son, I bought you to set you free. The slave just stood there dumbfounded for a moment with his mouth open. And when he came to his senses, he fell to his knees. And with tears in his eyes, he looked up at that Englishman and he said, Master, I'll serve you forever. The Lord Jesus bought us to set us free. He liberated us from sin's dominion over our lives and brought us into his own glorious kingdom. He redeemed us from our slavery by his own blood. How could we possibly go on living our lives for ourselves? And yet there are some of us who do that. Perhaps even in this room, there are some who have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you are living your life just like you were before. You haven't yet turned around and fallen at the feet of your master. You haven't realized what a wonderful position that he's given you. Maybe today is the day that the Spirit of God is calling you to dedicate yourself as a slave to righteousness. Put off any of the things from your old way of life. Their end is death and destruction. Serve the Lord Jesus in righteousness and obedience. Are we going to continue in sin now that we're no longer under the condemnation of the law but under grace? You answer for yourself this morning. My answer is no way, not a chance. I don't know about you. But Jesus is my master, and I'll serve him forever.